Okay, everybody, we are live, and today we have got my dear friend, Alexander Kugler. And Alex, you do a bunch of different things. I know you have a shaman, shamanistic lineage that you are tied to. You do um, men's work. You are a community gatherer of sorts. <laughs> but why don't you tell the listeners what exactly you do? Mm. The easiest... Well, hello, listeners. <laughs> um, the easiest um, thing to describe what I do is I facilitate men's work. And my orientation in that is really um, bridging the spiritual and the material, really bringing practical and spirituality together. Um, so that's what I do in men's work. And then beyond men's work, what has been a passion for actually longer is I love to gather earth honoring spiritual technology, um, integrate it into my life and share it with my people to help us remember ourselves within a society that is constantly trying to harvest us. So that means a reclamation of our blood lineages while we study uh, the living spiritual technology of the indigenous on this planet. I like it. It's a good answer, man, and full. You know, there's a there's a lot in there, <laughs> to say the least. Well, you had mentioned, you know, prior to kind of starting this episode, you said you wanted to kind of open up a field, you know, a yeah. moment, a moment of of prayer to kind of implement sort of what you're talking about. And if yes. you want to do that, I'm I'm game right now. Yeah, I'd love to. I would love to do that, and I want to want to do that for a couple reasons because I want to, um, you know, for me, prayer is about um, faith and and knowing that I am being guided. I prayed this morning and asked that the transmission be filled, be filled in by my ancestors and by all my spiritual allies, because I know that I've got this beautiful charisma. I, I can speak well. I love to share things with my community. But if I'm doing that alone, then it's empty. Mm -hmm. so I need all of that spiritual effluence to be filled in by those on the other side of the veil. So I want to call them in purposely yeah. and introduce that to all of our listeners so that we are woven together in this spiritual field of conversation. What I call lineage support. Amen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Quicker answer. Adonai Sefatai Tiftah Ufi Agita Hiratecha Calling out calling out to all of the spirits of this land that I sit upon, this beautiful land in El Cerrito. I call out to the indigenous ancestors of this land, the Ohlone. Relatives, thank you so much for all of your generosity. And I ask for permission here with my brother Grace and Estrada as we communicate with all of his community and all of those who will listen to this podcast Please open the way for beauty to be transmitted here. Please open the way for us to be in right relationship with spiritual technologies that are not of my bloodline. Please help me communicate cleanly and clearly how I understand appropriation. 
and how I engage in remedy in this world. I pray to the spirits of this land, the more than human relatives who surround me and who are with me, I ask that you help support this transmission also, that you help open the way for beauty to be shared, that we collectively remember ourselves in right relationship with you, sacred land that we remember that we are children of the Great Mother and that we are in relationship with all of the relatives that surround us, human and beyond. I call out to my ancestors, the Alenskis, the Robinsons, the Kuglers, the Gallowitz, the Kamaikos, all of the ancestors of mine who were born on this land, Turtle Island, and all of you who were born in the old, old country in the Ukraine, Dnepropetrovsk, Belarus, Lithuania, Germany, Austria, Luxembourg, all of the places from the old country when we were in deeper relationship with the land, when our indigenosity had not been so forgotten. And I go back even further when we were a desert people, when we prayed at Solomon's Temple, before there were the distinctions of Ashkenazi and Mizrahi and Sephardi, before the rabbis, when we were a priest people, we were praying at the sacred fire, I call out to you, ancient relatives. And even before the temple was constructed, way, way back, I call out to my grandmothers, the grandmothers of my lineage who guided us in praying with the goddess, the ancient, ancient ones, grandmothers and grandfathers who knew how to be in right relationship with the trees and the air and the water and the fire. Ancestors, come here today and speak through me guide this conversation so that we can transmit something beautiful for the listeners, that it can support them in living their purpose, in living their connectivity to the earth, their connectivity to their ancestral technology, and that we may all wake up collectively in this perilous moment of forgetfulness. I call out to all of my lineage allies of the Dagara lineage from Burkina Faso, the town of Dano, and the house of Bakie, please, ancestors, my adopted ancestors, open the way for this medicine to flow effortlessly. Guide my words, guide my thoughts, guide my heart. Help me love the listeners in such a good way that they can receive it. Please connect me to the wisdom of Thingam Tambalo, Mother, Father, Earth, and all of the powerful allies in those relationships that I tend. And I call out to my teacher, Don Oscar Miro Quesada, and his teacher, Don Celso Rojas Palomino, y Don Francisco Guarizo, y Don Benito Coriwaman Vargas, and all of the great medicine people of the Andean, Andean medicine path, the Camasqueros, the Paco Cuna, I call out to all of the great Sapa Inca Cuna, the great Incan leaders, male and female relatives, my adopted ancestors, I ask you to open the way that I may transmit the beauty that you have brought into my life, share it with my relationships my relations here. Share it with Gray. Help me listen to his questions so gracefully and answer them in a way that people can hear and digest and that it can support them in living their lives and walking the beauty way. Ancestors, thank you so much for holding me, for guiding me, and for gifting me this opportunity to share the medicine that you have shared with me, with the listeners of this podcast.
Amen. Amen. I dig it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for uh, holding space for that and for saying yes. Sure. To- yes, absolutely. That's the first on the podcast in 32 episodes that we've had, <laughs> that we've had something like that. So thank you, man. Good. Well, so I've got, even as you were talking, I, I started to kind of spur the questions. I've got a bunch and we've hung out many times and we've had lots of conversations, but there are things that I think I want to like, interrupt you there, Gray, because I yeah. just want to appreciate you for a moment. Oh yeah, sure, man. You're such an amazing ally. You know, in times of doubt of the medicine that wants to live through me, you have repeatedly called me with your beautiful warriorship heart Thanks, into man. trusting myself into trusting the medicine that lives through me. And I just want to bow to our friendship and bow to the the generosity of heart that you have gifted me over these years and that I don't take it for granted and that it is such a blessing being in your life, in your radiance. So thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. And the feeling is very mutual. And I would say when we first met that that signature was pretty apparent pretty fast. Yeah. You know, it was like the next day I, we had, a, we spent that one, you know, night with all of our buddies. And then that following morning we had a conversation around eggs and toasts. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to know this guy. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to have some great things to talk about. So thank you. And the feeling is very mutual. And that's why, you know, I'm always gifted you good tequila and good whiskey too, you know, like to, <laughs> to further instill that bond. <laughs> well, um, thank you again for all of that. So my my question, you know, the context that I kind of want to give to the listeners and to people and the thing that has made me really interested in your work and it's the way you framed it. And you've said to me numerous times, you know, over these past few years, you've said, what I do is I facilitate this prayer technology. And when you said the word technology, when you attach prayer and technology together, that has always had, there's um not just an allure, but there's a validity to that. There's something in there that I thought, yeah, that's that really kind of piques my interest in terms of how we can look and understand what prayer is to use it as an inner technology. Because we have a ton of, obviously, external technology, but the internal piece is lacking. And there's, you know, there's a movement now, you know, uh, with maps and psychedelic studies and plant medicines kind of making a resurgence. There's definitely... I think a big piece of the culture that wants that inner technology and we want the inner experience and not just the external stuff that's happening on the outside. We want a deeper connection with what's happening inside. So with all of that being said, with your work, the prayer technology, can you kind of break down what that means to you and what and what that means? Because I think for the layperson, yeah. that's something that they want they would probably like to know because that was one of the first things I wanted to know about you when we started talking was that. Yeah. It's so exciting. Um, you know, you just said it. it it's connection. You said inner connection. Mm-hmm. I would riff on that a little more mm-hmm. because it, to me, it feels like beyond inner connection. It's it. What? How? How would we describe electronic technology? Let's let's start there. I th- I see electronic technology is like enabling freedom. That's its intention. Sure. Freedom through connection, freedom, freedom through movement, um, freedom having more time. Our, all of our ancestors relied on spiritual technology for their survival. It was through their connection with the unseen forces that are sharing this realm with us that they were able to survive, that their medicine carriers were able to heal their community, that their hunters were able to tap into and track animals 
when there were no physical signs, but they were they were connected to the ley lines, to how the animals moved, to connection into the mind of that which we were, they were tracking. How I have been gifted, or how I carry spiritual technology these days, and more and more, I'm understanding that spiritual technology helps us plug into the multidimensionality of our beingness, right? So we've we have the ancestors. It's tricky, too, because you asked me, you know, like part of my prayer as we were entering this is like, I really want to transmit something digestible. Yeah. And so we have to unpack concepts as we go along in this conversation about spiritual technology. Yep. The Dagra, so one of the lineages I, I carry, I carry stick medicine. So it means I, I perform divination, which means that I'm listening through the veil and communicating and receiving information from my clients' ancestors who are communicating with my ancestors and a whole boatload of other spiritual allies who are doing the divination, I'm the operator. I'm yeah. the one catching the message and delivering <clears throat> right. You've received a divination from me, so we can talk about that more later. A couple, yeah. Yeah, a couple. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Dagara have taught me through my teachers the understanding that the ancestors are not up and away. The ancestors are in the earth. When the when the when the uh, occupying Europeans came in and were stealing people, enslaving them, and also indoctrinating them into Catholicism, they said, you know, God is in heaven. God, your, your ancestors are up in heaven. And the Dagara found this comical. Why, you know, it's so clear to us that the ancestors are in the earth. It's so clear that we have the support of the Great Mother great father under us why do we keep talking about heaven why do we keep going up so the spiritual technology that the dangara have been cultivating for 20 to 40,000 years talk about refinement yeah is a technology that helps us that enables us to communicate with checks and balances this is the beauty of these advanced spiritual technologies they have checks and balances they demand the diviner in this case me to have online my intuitive capacity so that I can hear and listen beyond the veil but they don't de they don't the technology doesn't depend that I'm always right I have these beautiful shells these cowrie shells that are my checks and balances so in divination I'm constantly checking grandmother cowrie shells mm -hmm. am I hearing is this am I hearing the message correctly and sometimes they say no fool start over again you know like you, <laughs> you missed the mark right you missed the mark yeah. and so technology in its beauty keeps helping refine and refine and refine and balance the intuitive capacity with direct connection with spirit mm. that feels like a good first round i'm wondering like yeah oh no there's up for you as you hear those pieces no it's great um it's a very good explanation and it was very easy to digest so that's that's great and i think that's a a piece of why i wanted you on this podcast was to flesh these things out because i think giving people context to this stuff is really important because it's helpful and it's there's a tremendous amount of benefit and merit that i think comes from these practices i've experienced it a lot of your community has people that are close to you that we are mutual friends with have experienced it my mom <clears throat> there are a lot of people that have you know benefited from this so when we talk about this, there's a couple things that come up and I will flush this out even more. But 
one of the things that you had touched on, right, was just this idea, the prayer at the beginning, lineage, what I, I said, lineage support, you know, in a nutshell. And when you're talking about this, this idea of ancestry. Now, a lot of cultures, right, are have this very Chinese medicine is very much like this, the, the, the role of ancestors and what they play. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has come up in recent years, when, we, when I've talked to you about this, you've helped me matriculate this idea, which is this, and this is what I want to hear your thoughts on, is that we, what we call our genetics are essentially the, it's like the physical cellular blueprint of the echoes of the past, the things mm-hmm. that we have done, the things we have partaken in, the gifts or talents that have been built from generation to generation, we end up accumulating these things in our body. And in a sense, we have, you know, our ancestors quite literally living in our genetics, what they call the Jing. You know, we have this like pumping through us and it's almost like an unconscious program. We have, you know, our genes that were, I have my proclivities, strengths and weaknesses that I am going to be, you know, leaning to in my life as are you, as I age. And then with these technologies, right, that's the subconscious piece. And then it seems like with these prayer technologies, when you are actively calling out to and intending with the conscious mind into these areas, you're, you're calling out to your ancestors, you're calling out. It's a very conscious piece. And I think that's the that's what's interesting about it for me is that we have our what I would call our subconscious genetics, the things that we're just they're in there. Why am I the way I am? because of many, many generations of things, you know, to where I came into form. And then you've got this conscious piece, which is what your, I feel like this prayer technology sort of does is that you, you link those two worlds, right? Left and right hemispheric balance. And I think that's really important because I think we can all get behind the idea that we have genetics and that we have proclivities and we have genetic memory, cellular memory, but we don't spend a lot of time, especially in this culture, actively putting it putting it into the conscious spectrum yes and that is where i'm like okay you know i mean they all say it right yin and yang balance like when the light and the dark the conscious and the subconscious link then we get harmony and i think that's what's really interesting about the prayer technology work for me so i would love to hear your thoughts on that um Mm -hmm. given that kind of breakdown i love it sexy gray (laughs) um wow so so rich, so much there. You know, I'm gonna riff on. In, I'm gonna riff a little bit on engaging our ancestors because I'm not. Uh, yeah, my orientation is less on. Um, well, let me just say it like this. So when we are engaging with our ancestors on the other side of the veil, the first step is for me was discovering through practice and through measurable observation that the ancestors are living on the other side. There's not a conclusive moment of death and then they're imprinted as they were. No, they are continuing their spiritual journey on the other side. This is known by so many, not just the Dagara. When we engage with our ancestors on the other side, my teacher Mark says, the ancestors who the ancestors who caused mo- the most harm on the other side of the veil are oftentimes the ancestors that can be of the most help. When we engage with them, when we make offerings to them, and I want to come back to this idea yeah. of offering technology, yeah. when we make offerings to them, when we support them actively in their healing process, so much energy can be freed up. 
But if we don't recognize, if we don't engage and support them in their healing, then you're, what you're talking about, they're, they're pro, our proclivities, what our addictions that are transmitted from them operate in the unconscious and can run our lives. If, on the other hand, we engage with the ancestors, we support their healing, and we ask them then from a place of being healed up, please help me with this addictive behavior, transformation can be remarkable mm -hmm. and miraculous. Um, so I love what you're saying about how the ancestors are living in our body in this imprint. Yeah. And I would add on to that that the magic of spiritual technology is that we then get to engage with the consciousness, the individuated consciousnesses of our ancestors in order to receive the healing in our personal lives and to transmit the healing seven generations forward and seven generations back. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like that a lot. And that's, I think that's the idea that's worth exploring. And, and I think hearing because this idea that people, and, and I've talked to people about this, it's, it's very prominent in Chinese medicine, right? The, what they call the, the, the Taoist immortals, right? These people who have, who um, embodied an aspect of life consciousness or their medicinal practice or their art that was so powerful that it, it leaves a mark essentially and it becomes immortal, right? The lineage lives on and there's a larger context to that. But I think that's, that's the thing. It's an idea that a lot of people don't consider here. And I think it's just because of, you know, how American culture is and people, I think it's like most of the times it's a tool they don't even know is available that, that it's even mm -hmm. something on the radar. And so when we, when I hear you talk about it, it's an idea that I think I was open to, but for me, it was also very experiential when I worked with you, where I remember the first time you did a, a divination, you know, ceremony or session for me, whatever you would like to call it. And I remember I got dizzy very quickly. And I remember thinking, God, that's really interesting. I never, ever get dizzy. But as we were outside and talking to my tree or whatever we were doing outside, you know, you were tapping with your stick and doing your stuff. And I remember thinking, so something is shifting here. Something is definitely happening it's, it's, it's atypical, you know, it's, it's, it's very strange. And yes. I thought, God, you know, if I didn't have someone like you to essentially walk me through the process and to give me the experience, I wouldn't, it would sound like cool theory. It would sound yes. like, oh, that's, a, that's a really nice thought. And it's kind of sentimental and sweet and nostalgic. And, but, but the real time experience of something happening, I think is where things start to shift. And I thought, huh, well, that's something that's not even a door I knew I could walk through. It was an yep. idea that I had explored many times. <clears throat> I have ancestors. I believe they're helping me in some way, but it wasn't real until the experience. Totally. And and that really brings up another. And I, this is sort of like I'm, I'm working on this theoretically, but there's there's something about spiritual technology. And then there's like human technology. I'm not talking about electronic technology. I'm right. talking about human connective technology. We, we can't learn to pray alone. Yeah. That's not, that's not how it's built. That's not how we are built. We are mammals, and prayer is not something that we come into life knowing how to do. Young ones come in connected, right? Mm -hmm. They're not in prayer. They are prayer. Mm. They're living prayer. When we transition into conscious mind around seven or eight, I've been told there's a brain chemistry shift, brain frequency shift then we can begin to be initiated into praying to remember that state of oneness, mm -hmm. right? 
So when, when you talk about like, oh, if I didn't have somebody to walk me through this, it's yeah. like that, that thought, oh, like maybe I should be able to do this alone. Like that thought is part of a bigger communi- uh, conversation I want to have with you about colonization, mm-hmm. the colonization of the mind and how these indigenous spiritual technologies help us address directly colonizer mind. Because the, these technologies are not built upon um, an economic system or interface between humans like we have grown up in, in the matrix. Right. They are built on systems of abundance. So that brings us to the conversation of offering technology. Mm-hmm. These systems are designed upon a concept, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, shift language for a minute. I'm sure. going to go to my Peruvian lineage. So I also carry a mesa from the Andes, from my teacher, Don Oscar Miro Quesada Solevo. I called in him and his teachers in the invocation. And this lineage, one of the primary transmissions is Aini. And Aini is a Quechua word. Quechua is the language of the people of the Andes, one of the languages. Aini is sacred reciprocity. Ooh. Right? Like that. That just feels good. Yeah, that sounds great. That's, that's, yeah. Reciprocity yeah. is what spiritual technology is built upon. It is what we are built upon. It is what this earth is built upon. And in our um, insanity of harvesting without giving back, with taking, without the recognition that something needs to be given in order for us to stay in balance, bringing up the Taoist masters, we're wildly out of balance because we have forgotten the original instructions of sacred reciprocity. So when we're engaging with ancestral healing, when we're engaging with our ancestors, my teacher Mark, I'm going back and forth between these lineages yeah, because they are within okay. together, you know? Yeah, it's okay. Back with the Dagra medicine, Mark talks about the spirit's lust for matter. And I love his use of the word lust. I've been really studying Eros and... Um, prayer and we can come back to that if we have time yeah but there's a lusting for from the spirit from our ancestors from spiritual beings to the material just like we lust for spiritual awakening yes same mechanism it's a reflection Mm -hmm. so when we're when we move to participate in healing with our ancestors i've been had i've been given rituals by my teacher to cook them whole meals, go out to the forest, call them in and leave the meal in the middle of the forest. I've been given instruction to go tie white fabric, four pieces of white fabric on on a tree as a gift for my grandmothers, offer ash and water and spirits, um, tobacco, all of these different offerings for very specific healings that need to happen for and with my ancestors. And when and I love how he says it. He said to me one time, he's like, Alex, we have no idea how these offerings arrive on the other side. When you tie that white fabric on a tree, it might arrive to your grandmother's as a beautiful gown, as a beautiful tablecloth, like something that is needed on the other side. And I think as I'm hearing myself say these things, one of the things that indigenous consciousness has gifted me, right, studying with these teachers and praying to be rewilded decolonized is that the imaginal realms are not less real the archetypal realms are not less real yeah we are in contact with this physical dimension of personality and body 
But once we start entering true ancient prayer technology, we realize that we are cut off. We have, we have severed a limb of ours that has been a part of the human experience since the beginning of humans have known themselves. Absolutely. And so I picture my grandmothers on the other side of this veil. I talk to them out loud every day. That's another one of these uh, key technology trainings is that we have to speak out loud to our ancestors. We have to give our Ruach Elohim, the breath of life, our creative capacity to carry our prayers and our words to the other side of the veil that they may be received because, as my teacher says, it is as hard for them to hear us as it is for us to hear them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Man, I just went in like 16 different directions, but it was fun. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. Welcome back. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. Um, and it's really good ideas. I mean, and they're, the way you're explaining it, I, again, this is, this is the piece that I think is missing, and it's nice to have languaging to it nowadays because this these types of ideas I feel aren't discussed this way. And there's a couple of different directions. I mean, one, you know, I was born and raised Catholic. I'm not practicing, but I was, you know, born, raised, confirmed Catholic. My yeah. mom always said, you don't have to be Catholic. This is just what I started with. And you can do with this, whatever you, you want. You know, if you become an atheist, a Taoist, I don't really care, but this is where I started. So do with it what you will. But even in the context of that, right, prayer was sort of done alone and it was sort of asking for things. And it was very, uh, what's the word? Lifeless in a way. It, d- it never had a lot of anima to for me when I would pray as a kid. It was me asking for stuff or just asking for general protection and whatnot. But so this conversation has merit for that reason. And then the next piece to this is you got me thinking. I've had this question brought up to me so many times, and you and you hit on it, and it's and it's really valuable. And I would love to hear your your response to it. People have said to me. When, when they're like, training Gong Fu, for instance, or, you know, Chinese martial arts or Qigong, there is a cultivation of the intangible. You are also dialoguing with the intangible and you're, you're trying to feel the energetic spectrum of human experience, not just the physical. The physical body is absolutely needed in Qigong or movement or martial arts, but there is this deeper sensitivity of the immaterial, right? Matter and energy. And people will say like, well, why would you focus on feeling that stuff? And I'm always brought back to the basic tenet, which is, you know, and I ask my clients this, do your thoughts have form? Where are they? And they're like, well, I mean, they're in my head. I said, yeah, but if you die, can you pull them out and touch them? Are they, where are they? Like, where do they come from, you know? And and where do they reside? And it's always kind of, they're left in this spot of saying, well, I don't really know. And I said, well, Think about how much of our lives are lived from an immaterial substance, more or less. The emotions we feel and the thoughts we think dictate pretty much everything that we bring into form and everything that we do, right? It's an immaterial thing. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're talking about this, it brings me back kind of to the same point. It's like, well, why would I communicate with my ancestors? It's like, well, hello. There's an, if even though we can't see them and they may be immaterial to us, yeah. There's a high likelihood that they, these, you know, where our lineages reside, however that, wherever they are, that they could have tremendous impact on yeah. us for that same reason. You know, it's a parallel, totally. parallel totally. that I'm trying to draw. One, one, you know, it's interesting, man, because when I came onto the spiritual path, I was not interested in ancestral communication and now it's primary for me. So I'm like reflecting on how, how did that happen? You know, I heard, I, I heard indigenous elders say, 
um, you know, there's like there's an enormous backlog of grief of untended ancestors. I've heard, hmm. I heard that that d- didn't touch me wow. for some reason. That didn't didn't move me. Um, there's also something to be said about the lineages that we're born into, and mm-hmm. just to weave back colonization, right? Like. My ancestors, I'm an Ashkenazi Jew, 100% Ashkenazi Jew. So that means all of my ancestors, as far back as we can trace, are from Eastern Europe and were ghettoized, uh, which means that they were forced to live in shtetls or small communities. They were not allowed to own land. Um, this, this is the history of the Jewish people in Eastern Europe for a long time. Um, my ancestors, once rabbinic Judaism came into authority, decided that it was unacceptable to practice divination. They say that explicitly, like last week's Torah portion. Wow. Unacceptable to do divination, unacceptable to commune with the dead. So I found myself doing this divination work and feeling and checking in with my teacher. I'm going to tell a real quick story. Yeah, yeah. During when I was when I was going through my merging ceremony, which is the moment that I um, am merged with or married to the Wedeme. The Wedeme are the forest beings. These are the ones who perform the divination technology. These are the land land beings. <clears throat> In the Dagara cosmology, they were left here by Creator to help the humans live because Creator had to bounce and go do something else. <laughs> um, during my merging week, right, so there's a lot of preparation, years of preparation for the merging ceremony, and my teacher calls me up and uh, and he says, Alex, I got to tell you something. I was just checking in about uh, how, you know, is everything in alignment? Is the way open and good for Alex's merging uh, this coming weekend? And he was specifically asking my ancestors. Now, this is going to be uh, hard to describe, but they're cowrie shells. I want you to picture cowrie shells. Have you ever seen a cowrie shell? I think the ones you have. The ones that I toss, right? Yeah. So they're these beautiful little white shells and they have the backs cut off so that they can lie flat or the other side up. Right. So Mark said he was asking my ancestors, he said to them, is, there, is the way open? Is everything cool for Alex's merging? And he tossed the shells and the shells lodged themselves together in a way where he picked them up and they were connected. He could not shake them apart. He said this has never happened in the decades that he has tossed shells. And he was so excited about it. He, get, you know, he called me to tell me about this. Yeah, you know, the magic of divination is that spirit is imprinting into physical because we are using tools that the dagara have refined in a way for them for spirit to be easy to be easily accessible um, into the physical realm. So when he tossed these shells and he asked, "Are my ancestors cool?" with what's about to happen, and that the shells merged themselves together, clung to each other, was an incredible confirmation for me, for Mark, that my ancestors, in fact, are starving, starving to be listened to, starving to be spoken with, starving for the healing practices, for the active engagement with their healing and our healing. Now, a lot of Jews don't follow uh, this precept of not doing divination and, and all of these things and a lot of the rules that our ancestors have come up with. But there's something really important in this for me as we're talking about our blood, our blood ancestry and colonization of where did our ancestors, when did our ancestors get off track? 
where did prayer start to become rote? Yeah. When did it start to be colonized? And when I look back, my the Jewish people have passed on so much beauty, so much beauty in tradition, in spiritual technology like the talis and the kippah and the tefillin, the mezuzah, like all of this incredible spiritual technology that I love. And yet, the goddess was stripped was stripped out, was excommunicated from the spiritual technology a long time ago. So you heard in my opening invocation, I call back to the old grandmothers before the temple was built. I call back to them because I want to remember myself as a worshiper of the goddess. That, that is my path. I love the goddess. Mm-hmm. I look at the hills and I see the rolling hips of the mother I look in the sky and I feel that expanse. I feel I feel the mother in the rocks. Like this is my path. I am a bhakti. I am a devotee of the mother. And that's why these lineages have helped me remember myself and find my path because they plug me into worshiping the material world, not from a place of extraction, but from a place of devotion. And that nourishes me over and over again. So I just want to riff for one more minute. Yeah about colonization and how um, we, there's a big conversation about appropriation. I am a white Jewish boy from the East Coast practicing dogeristic medicine <laughs> and carrying a friggin' Pachakuti Mesa, right? Yeah. There's a lot of danger there. There's a lot of danger, potential danger for us whose blood does not come from these places, taking spiritual technologies and then say, oh, I'm Peruvian, wearing all the beautiful Peruvian fabrics, sure. which I, they're beautiful. Um, <laughs> but forgetting ourselves within another's culture, forgetting ourselves and just taking, taking, taking. This is the, the illness of appropriation, and this is the illness of colonization, is that we have taken, we Westerners, white Westerners, have taken the, um, the resource abundance, right, all of the minerals, and continue to extract, and now that there has there we have reached a level of domination and control of these indigenous lands the extraction of spiritual technology is becoming more and more popular so one of the p- pillars or tenets of how i have committed myself to walking this path because this path has called me and claimed me as it has you chinese medicine has claimed you right you have claimed it but we have been claimed so we recognize that and immediately with the awakening that these indigenous spiritual technologies bring into our lives we turn back to our blood lineage we turn back to where we come from where our ancestors come from and we infuse the spiritual effluence into our blood lineages that we can reawaken what is and has been our peoples for a long time so judaism has taken on a completely different experience for me since I have been healed up by these indigenous technologies. I am remembering myself as a Hebrew. That wow. is a very different frequency than being a Jew. Mm-hmm. You know me? Yeah. And so, any, anyway, I, those were a couple threads I wanted to touch on because it's so important for me to be in integrity. The medicine cannot flow if we're not in integrity. And for me, being in integrity with spiritual technology is utilizing the gifts of the indigenous that have been given to me freely, that I have been initiated in, that I have paid my dues to study, 
and then turning back to my people, bringing the medicine home so that we can awaken and stop extracting and violating this earth and the indigenous peoples. Yeah, I know. I love it. And I, and I think it's, I mean, the way you're explaining it, it's, um, it's such a broad context when you think mm. about it, right? How, how many, in a sense, how many factors, there's so many things here that shape how these medicine traditions are, uh, what's passed on, how they stay in and how they stay in, in integrity, as you're saying, right? So they don't break down the fabric of um, how they work, the mechanisms that make them tick and keeping that alive is so critical. And I think that's what you're talking about is there's, it's not just, I study this thing, therefore, and now I have it and now I use it. It's dependent upon this connection and I think, and, and you're cultivating this, and it's, that's what's so cool about this process. And it opens up, essentially, this entire new spectrum for people to connect with. There's a whole new arena, and I think that's what's so interesting about it to me. And that was, we've had this conversation, Chinese medicine. You know, I'm a, I'm a German, Spanish, <laughs> you know, white. I mean, there's Irish. I mean, I got a lot of different things, but same, the same thing. And it's, and it is a, um, a weird thing for me in years past where I thought here I am teaching Chinese medicine is like what looks like just a big white guy teaching yeah. Chinese medicine. And I've had to really process that and sit with that. And I think when I met you, it just opened up, um, it opened up the dialogue for me to, 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 to dialogue with that process. I thought, yeah, there's definitely some stuff here because I'm going to have to acknowledge I didn't obviously come up with this stuff. There's not, there's, I've got my spin on it because I'm me, but it's in the end, it's like there are these traditions that I'm leaning on fully for, to help people and to bring it forward. So I think, again, it kind of comes back to that question and that reasoning of merit. Like, why do we, why would we want to look into this? Why is it relevant to study this, the stuff that you're talking about here? And it brings me to the question, a question about this, about the technology itself. And it's around emotionality. And I, I feel like when I've watched you do your divinations, there is an emotionality to it. You are, yes. you're connected to it. And yeah. it's not just you blindly like, I'm calling on my ancestors and it's just a monotonous, you know, like you're not zoned out. You are engaged fully. And there's a, there's a book. Uh, I'm not sure if you've read it. Uh, do you know who Greg Braden is? Yeah, I love Greg. Have you read his book, The Isaiah Effect? No. Okay, so he... The book is about prayer technology, and it was one of the books that I, if you had not heard about it, I was going to bring it up during this podcast. I think you should check it out. But one of the things that he talks about is he studies a bunch of different uh, cultures across the globe, and they talk about prayer technology. And one of mm. the things that they say that was lost or that people forgot about was the emotionality found in prayer. So he said, this is the example in a nutshell. He says, traditionally, we are trained in Catholicism or in you know, uh, Protestant religion or in just mainstream, what I call mainstream modern religion, that you pray for something like, I would like a black Rolls Royce. I want this thing. I want a new house. I want, I want these things. And it can be very specific sometimes that people pray for. I want this thing. Please help me get that job. And what he said and what this book talks about is the missing link in the prayer technology was he said, instead of praying for that job that you want or the vehicle that you want, mm -hmm. what it what really makes the prayer come into form is he says, embody the emotionality as if you had just received the job mm. and actively experience the emotion that's that's tied 
to the thing you're requesting. And it mm. wasn't about material things. He was using that as a kind of an arbitrary example. But if you want, you know, if someone is ill, you don't pray for them to get well. You, you embody the emotional state of what it mm. would feel like if your relative mm. became well. And you, and the skill, right? And the craft is how do you cultivate the emotionality into um, your body? How do you actually feel the emotion while you're praying? And I think personally, I feel like this notion and this idea and this practice of plugging into ancestry, mm. I think starts to create the emotionality personally, because wow. when you do that, I've seen you, uh, when you start kind of going down your list of people that you're thanking and you're calling out to the grandmothers and you're calling out to all these sides, yeah. by default, there's sort of a humbling reverence that comes with that. Yes. And it makes you feel like, whoa, I'm kind of small, but I can be very large if I lean back on, on these ancestors and I lean back on these things that have helped me and you realize you're larger than yourself. So yes. I think it's just, it's an interesting thing. I think like for one, I think you should read that book and check it out. I think you'd really like it. And <laughs> I two, I, this idea, right, of like emotionality during yeah. prayer, which is so much more powerful than just the blind words where I just, I want this thing and I'm saying it because I'm going to bed and because I should. That whole... I don't know what you want to call that, but the way prayer has been done. So, yeah, I mean, I love this. I want to riff a little bit on two two threads and help me track mm -hmm. these eros <laughs> and say it again. What was that? Eros, eros, okay. And um, monotheism. I'm going to start with monotheism. We'll come back to eros. So there was a there was a huge transition. Uh, thousands of years ago from the many gods, the recognition of the many gods, including the goddess, into monotheism, the one, the only, the source. And growing up in, in synagogue, we were only praying to God the Father. And, oh my God, that was painful. That was not my reality. Same, that was not the truth. Same right? with Catholicism, man. Same. Um, now, I've recently been starting to make peace with God the Father as the all father i don't know if you've ever that i've, that, heard, I've heard the phrase but the frequency there feels very different to me the all father mm -hmm. um well i guess what i want to come down to is like the emotionality for me is the relationship to the radical diversity of this realm so when i get to connect with my grandmothers, my grandfathers, the rock nation, my bird tribe, um, the hills, the valleys, the deserts. There's some, there is some, you call it emotionality. I'm going to stretch into calling, there's some erotic awakening that happens in my body when I start connecting to the vast diversity of spiritual aliveness in this realm. And, um, I actually had the gift of going to a grief ritual this weekend led by one of my friends, uh, and it's in the Dagara lineage. Oh, so wow. I got to go into a different, a whole different quadrant of Dagara spiritual technology. And what I kept discovering because this facilitator um, is also a teacher of eroticism, a facilitator of erotic uh, exploration, there was a really, really beautiful safe container for grief and arrows to move fluidly. Now, no clothes came off and there was no, there was no, that, that wasn't the focus. Yeah. Well, space was made for erotic energy to move through us as grief 
cleaned out space. And so what I keep coming back to is like, when I go to pray, it is, it's the same quality of listening. This is a show for adults, right? Yes, and you can curse if you want. <laughs> okay, thank you. It's that when I go to pray, I'm discovering it's the same quality of listening that I use when I'm touching a lover. Uh-huh. It's that same subtle, I want the juices to flow. Right. I want pleasure to rocket through their body. Mm-hmm. It's the same desire mechanism when I'm tapping on my grandmother's shrine. I want them to be in pleasure. Oh. I want to hear them. I want to hear the, the subtle cues coming from the other side so that I can give them what they need to be whole and nourished. So there's the, you're naming this emotionality. I think that's very true. And for this one who is a devotee, this is my path yeah. in this planet. I want to make love all the time. I want to make love at my shrines. I want to make love at my altar. I want to make love when the plant medicines are in my body. I want to make love with my beautiful lover in my bed. And I want to pray the shit into their orgasm. Yeah. They're, they, they, I'm discovering how unified they are in my being and how much aliveness and power comes through the prayers when I allow the eros to rocket through me. I can feel it in my body even as I'm talking about this. There's this like kinetic energy over my skin. Yeah. And it's not that I want that I'm objectifying. It's not that I want to take yeah. something. No, I want to give. I want to ride the current of devotion into ecstasy with my ancestors and with my lover and with the planet and with my brother, Gray. I want to be in that erotic, awake prayer all day, every day. Mm-hmm. My teacher, Don Oscar, I was having a hard, hard moment a couple months ago. And he, we got, I got to be on the phone with him, which is such a gift. He's so busy. And he said, Alexander. You need to be praying with every breath. And it was just like, it was so humbling. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it was, and it, but it also woke me up to, I've heard Adyashanti talk about this. He talks about, Adyashanti is a teacher of Advaita, or I don't even know what he calls it, but he's a meditation teacher okay. from the, of the East. And he's a white man. And he says, when we meditate, we need to meditate like our hair is on fire. Mm. what does that mean why did don oscar say like with every breath right there is an awakeness that is available to us when we do not compartmentalize the animal from the spiritual Mm -hmm. my animal body wants to make love and be in connection all the time why are we except not why we know why we're colonized (laughs) yeah right (laughs) But we don't have to be colonized. There's a word in Quechua, salka, undomesticated, feral, yeah. right? This is why I pray, so that I'm fucking wild. Not yeah. wild, destructive, yeah. wild, unapologetically true. Yeah. I like that. And I, my sentiments mirror your own. I mean, I think in the collective, right, we have different languaging and different contexts from how we plugged into this concept. But that domestication thing, the lack of wild, the, the the lack of physical resiliency even that we have from the elements nowadays. We have such a 
we've become so disconnected from yes. this thing. I mean, part of why I love camping is just the simple thing of being outside for three days yeah. and being around fire and being near yes. creeks and just, and letting myself get dirty and feeling a little cold and, and having to, it, it, that whole process, I think, you know, metaphorically, it's good for the physical body. But when we plug into the living matrix that life is and that the world is, you're, you're speaking, we're speaking the same language. It's the same yeah. kind of thing of why it's so important that this is, brought back into the culture and you said kind of unlearning a little bit of like why are we we know why but yeah we don't have to do it like this and there are ways and methods to to, to speed this process up <laughs> yes and the dagara they talk the, the dagara talk about um wild magic the 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 wild is called the wea wea is nature mm -hmm. there's wea and then there's human magic and in the town, we have human magic, right? We have streets, we have buildings, we have all of the things mm -hmm. that we construct as humans. Yeah. When we go yeah. into the wild, that's where we get wilded. And what I've discovered through all of these studies is that before the power and beauty of spiritual craft, spiritual technology, is the power and radiance and beauty of the wild of nature so before all of this underneath all of it and within all of this technology is the wild that's the primacy of this transmission of spiritual technology yeah. is to learn our way out of domesticated human mind and body behaviors the matrix mm -hmm. right yeah that's very real <laughs> that's you keanu reeves um <laughs> Yeah, so like when I went to, I'm going to go in a different direction a little bit, go a little personal. Two months ago yesterday, my partner of two years, I don't even know if we talked, we did talk about this. You told me, but I know you, you've been in processing essentially. Yes. Yeah. So two months ago, my partner of two years left the relationship. And I have, I have never touched grief that deep. I've never, I've been depressed that's sort of like a shutdown. I've wanted to hurt myself. I cut myself for many years and wanted to commit suicide and all that. That's real. This is a completely different ballgame, being very awake and alive mm -hmm. and, and deep heartbreak. Whew. And so uh, how I have been, how I have been understanding it, because there were weeks and weeks of tears. How I've been understanding it is that there was a, there was a cyst on my heart and life conspired to slice open this cyst. And the only way that the knife would go deep enough across my heart was one, if I loved deep enough, which I still do love her. Yeah. If I loved it deep enough and if she left. And that organization of wild medicine mm -hmm. came into my life and cut my heart open so deeply that the pus that was in the way of me living and all the ways that I was codependent, all of the ways that I had internal, all of that has gotten to be squeezed out through grief enormous waves of grief 
for the weeks after she left, I couldn't touch my tools. I, t I went to go see Mark and he made me lunch. You know, my teacher of the Dagger lineage mm -hmm. made me lunch and gave me a divination. And he said, Alex, you got to get out to the wild. It's, it's waiting for you. It's calling you. So I went up to the U. I, I finished the work that I needed to do and I went up to the Yuba for 12 days. Mm -hmm. Out alone for 11 of them. And met incredible allies there, spiritual and human, who guided me into the practice of not doing. Not in in a wild space, playing. Yeah, you know, being that ten year old self swimming up and down the river with my goggles and exploring and and praying. Not because I'm supposed to pray or follow these rules, but yeah. because that is the movement of my soul and weeping and weeping and weeping. And then my head would pop back up, and I'd be like, "Wow, that 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 was helpful." Mm -hmm. Each each phase, um, and this this to me speaks to the living medicine rather than the indoctrination. Yes. Right? The living medicine makes room for periods of not now. I'm not going to be at my shrines every day right now. I need to go get wild. Yes. And then I come back and I am a different fucking human. Yeah. I am wilder. Yeah. I am living more today than I have ever loved in my life. Yeah. Feeling grief deeper than I have ever grieved in my life, and I am more awake to Eros rocketing through my body than I have ever been. How is that possible two months after the greatest heartbreak of my life? In my understanding, it is because of the lineages that are holding me on the path towards the greatest unfoldment of my love into this world. I could not walk this path without these lineages holding me. I could not walk this path without my ancestors underneath me. I don't want to walk this path without them. Yeah. And it's my opportunity and obligation to transmit appropriately to my relatives, all of my relatives, technologies to help them live their purpose in right relationship to the land, to indigenous peoples, and to the medicine. I like it. <sighs> Thanks for going there with me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for sharing and i know i know how difficult the heartbreak was for you and we we talked actually i think it was a couple weeks after it had really the the blow had been delivered and you talked to me and we talked on the phone and we just dropped in about that and i remember thinking oh man like you've got your work cut out ahead of you you're going to be you're going to have a pretty uh, a hole to climb out of and yes. and there's going to be some beautiful light at the end of it and I was also really excited for you at the same time because because I know from my own heartbreak heartbreak like that that I've had I was 27 when it happened and broke me uh, very cliche things you know walking through my house collapsing to my knees crying for 30 seconds or a minute and then standing back up and being back to normal and it was just a yeah very rough and I also had people like you said you know human allies that show up people in my life that were saying, Gray, you know, when the, when we go through pain like this, that pain is essentially creating more space for love inside the heart. That's, that's what the pain does. That's what that grief does is it creates more room, but you do have to bear it. You do need to go through it. You got to process it. You got to cry. You've got to really let yourself go down to that, those deep bowels. And then when you come out, there is more room and that's yeah. sort of the hard edge of life and I think of love. So I appreciate you sharing it and I'm I'm proud of you for being present with it 
so many mm-hmm. people will run from their pain. And I just think that is such a, such a mistake, you know, because the, the pain doesn't last. And I think it actually, it, it moves quicker. And um, when we really feel it, and that's just a hard thing for people to swallow. But Super it's super hard. And, and I would just say, it's sad that we do that. But it's also not our fault. I agreed. I think that I we are living, you know, as my Jewish community would say, we're living in Babylon. <laughs> we are uh, we are living in, in times of the death of the village. The village has been massacred. So we do not have the structures in place to support our grieving. We have to go to weekend workshops. And most mm-hmm. people don't have the resources and the time to be able to go to a weekend workshop to grieve. Mm-hmm. You know, so like one of the human technologies that I want to name is just calling counsel. Like you, you were on that list of mm-hmm. like, brothers, I need to sit around the fire and be held and witness. Brothers, yeah. I'm going to the Yuba, mm-hmm. you know. And specifically, I reached out to men because yeah. there was two, two reasons. One is because I need, I want to practice men holding each other. So there was some like principle that sure. wanted to be sure. into helping be in our emotional bodies together. And there was also, I was getting great holding from my sisters. Mm-hmm. The women in my life know how to be in grief. Yeah, They know how to be with me in my right. grief, celebrate my tears. And <clears throat> a lot of my male friends don't. And I didn't want to call them up to be with me alone because I wouldn't be able to cry with them because they don't know how to stay with me in that grief. So this is, these are one of those human technologies and this is why I do men's work Mm -hmm. because I'm a man that cries Mm -hmm. so often men I work with say to me, how do I cry? Can you, can you help me remember how to cry? Yeah. There is like, it's heartbreaking. I know, man. It's sad. It really is. And it's, I've seen it. And I also have been very lucky in my life to be surrounded by a lot of men who are not afraid to cry. And I'm not saying they're crying at every drop, you know, a glass of milk is spilled and they're crying. It's, it's, it's when it's, um, when it's fitting, right? When I think there's times when I've seen men where most people in the room are saying, you know, they should be crying. This is, this is a very sad affair why are they just you know you can just see them bottling the emotion because there's there's weakness in apparently in, in their mind you know for for crying and it's it is a bummer because i just think first of all that there's a penalty for that physically you know the body takes a beating for just not being yep. able to process emotion i i don't know if i told you i think i told you this um and i've mentioned it on the podcast and i've told the story many times but it was a pivotal transformation for me i was impotent at 21 because I mm. hadn't grieved for my dad. I hadn't cried. Wow. I didn't know that yes. until I was forced into crying essentially through body work. And through my, my first martial art instructor, Chuck Duran, he worked on me and I cried for the first time in two years. And I remember when he, when he hit that spot in my hip, it wasn't that hard, but he just, he said, this is where you're storing it. And he's like, I'm not going to let go. And he drilled into that spot and I just broke down. Ooh. There was, this little side tangent, two episodes I think you should listen to. The last one with Tony Gallus, we talk about living medicine traditions versus knowledge, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And then episode nine with um, with Larissa Conte, which was about grief rituals, about this very this very thing. But when I when I got to cry, 
when I actually got into the space and I just dumped and I cried for about 45 minutes straight. And there's a difference between crying and wailing. I wailed, uh, I yeah. wailed. And, yeah. and right after that, he talked to me, he was such a gentle, kind soul about the whole process and just told me, he says, you know, you're not less of a man for crying. You're more of one. You've got to deal with these things. Um, and if you, if you leave that untouched, he's like 30 years later, that, that can become cancer. That can become very like lodged tumors in your body. Like, don't do that. And so we talked about it. And I remember that night for the first time in six months, sexual performance was back on like I was 21 again. And I thought, damn, you know, there's a, there's a penalty if we don't allow those emotions to course. And I think people forget that. Like it's going to chew on you in some totally. way. And you're tracking the grief and arrows too. Like this is, this is it. Yeah. This is it. The aliveness of our creative force. Yep. Grief. They're right next to each other. So close. <laughs> they're like, they're married. <laughs> On the same channels. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's really important. And I, I, that's why I appreciate the work that you're doing. And when you, you know, your passion for it, because it's, mm -hmm. I think getting back to that place and acknowledging that all people need to cry. And we all have to, that's such a critical piece, I think, of the human experience. And they've even talked about it in the science realm, man. They talk about, um, you know, mitochondria, chromosomes, codons. At the cellular level, it's dependent upon, like, t laughter and tears. Like, if we don't mm -hmm. have a, a balance of those things, at a cellular level, we start to break down. Like, there, there's mm -hmm. just a fundamental truth that you got to dance in those worlds. You, you, you gotta, know Martin Prechtel? Say it again. Martin Prechtel? I've heard the name, maybe from you. He's an but... author, um, The Smell of Rain on Dust, Grief and Praise. You told me this name. Yes. Yeah. Like this, this is a, uh, a, a Westerner who also has lived in and studied with um, indigenous peoples. I believe it's with the Mayan. Mm -hmm. um, and his transmission is the same thing. The, our capacity to praise is directly dependent on our capacity to grieve. That's it. They're they're the same thing. And what is lovemaking if not praise? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, bro. I've done a lot of other shit that's not <laughs> praise. And I'm not interested in perpetuating that anymore. That was yeah. a plank of my old wounds. Yeah. Right? But when I am in lovemaking, when I am in praise, when I am in prayer, I am connected with my life force, with my vitality, and with my purpose for being here. Yeah. That's what I want for my relatives. That's yeah. what I that's what I want to share with all of this technology. Not, you know, it took a long time to, to acknowledge that my, e and, and still I would say I am, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I really watch my ego around power mm -hmm. because these spiritual technologies give power. You know, if you've read the teachings of Don Juan and Carlos Castaneda's books, right? Great, like, great books, yeah. Amazing books. Mm -hmm. And like, they are, they are 12 novels about stalking power. Yeah. Right? So these technologies, they bring power. What I just sat with an amazing teacher, his name's Francis Weller. He wrote an amazing book on grief called The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Cannot recommend it enough. And Eliyahu, my, my co-facilitator in the men's work, we went to go sit with him um, as an anchor and as a mentor in the men's work. And he said, you know, <clears throat> in the West, we get really confused about power. We think that, you know, it's something that I have. He said, no, power is something that moves through us when we are in connection. Right. Power is a byproduct of connection. It's the same. I'm saying the same thing with the spiritual technology. Yeah. All of these connections with the unseen ones gift me amazing amount of power 
what do I do with that power? How do I channel it? How do I direct it? What is my north star when I am landing the punch of my intention to bring in the kung fu? Yeah. Right? That that is something that is continually and continually refined, but I just named a little bit of what my intentionality is like. I want to be a force upon this earth that helps people wake up out of the colonized mind, remember ourselves as the wild humans that we are, and love the fuck out of the earth. Yeah. Stand up for our purpose, stand up for our passions, and be resilient in all of the activism, in all of the self-reflection and decolonization that we are engaged in. We are headed for, I, I feel quiver in my bowels when I look forward a decade or two. I have no idea what is coming down the pike. Yep. This technology is what will guide me in a world of radical uncertainty. Mm-hmm. There is so much we do not know in these times of prophesied times of right. collapse. Right? Yep. It's very intense. I mean, it's a very, it's a very strange climate to be alive right now. Globally, politically, everything is very tumultuous, and it is it's bottlenecking. Obviously, everything is coming, and this is weird. Not weird. I think you'll be able to relate in the same way when you told me you were going through your breakup. And I've thought about this for other people too, where there's almost not an ex, not excitement is probably the wrong word, but yeah, yeah, that makes yeah it, there's a certain amount of that same energy when I look at this bottleneck too, because yes. I keep thinking, I'm like, you know, I really genuinely believe that as we get to that precipice of just where we, we we're going to hit that, that boiling point. Yeah. Yes. Shit is going to hit the fan. Yes. There are going to be some very real problems and some very real backpedaling and it's going to take a long time to repair some of the damage and some of it will probably be irreversible. But I think that's true for when my dad died. It's not something I get over. It's just something you integrate. It's a wound that's always there. And I think that's the way it's going to be. I think with what's happening you know, mm-hmm. on, the, on the planet right now too, it's, there's going to be that like, yeah, we won't just get past it. We'll integrate all of this stuff eventually, yeah. but it's going to be bumpy as hell. I mean, it's, it is going to be a rough ride. It's important for us to also remember the privilege that you and I sit in. That as people who are recognized as white men, you know, we are able to, we, we are gifted a certain amount of comfort that most people on the planet do not have right now. Most people of color um, do not have on the planet. And those are the communities that will be hit the hardest. So I think there's like, there's a sobriety and there's like a, that's also operating in me too, Gray, is this like celebration of the collapse. Like, yes, please, please may these structures collapse. And being really sober to the fact that those who will be hurt the most are the communities where these spiritual technologies come from. Mm-hmm. You know, in Burkina Faso, Mark is telling me that uh, they've discovered gold in the past 10 years. And up until this discovery, Dano, this town where he received his training and has gone back many, many years, um, has been really, really um, deeply connected and living its ancestral history. And now there are these huge mining operations happening right outside of the town, which are 
all Westerners, all white Westerners coming in, extracting the gold and destroying the local economy where we can no longer get high quality um, metalsmithed items. They, they, they can't afford to make these right. pieces that their ancestors have been making for thousands of years because mm-hmm. of what we're talking about. Yeah. So there's a way that I'm recognizing this moment of gathering the spiritual technologies is like we are I, I keep picturing these like these uh, water wells in the desert. And for thousands of years, they have been bringing up cool drinking water for all of the people. Yeah. And we're in a moment where the heat is rising so fast. And so it, it's becoming so unbearable that the, the homes of these spiritual technologies are, are we're going through another extinction mm-hmm. phase. We're going through another period where the medicine will have to go even deeper underground. And I'm hearing my teacher, Don Oscar, whisper in my ear, you know, the medicine never goes away. Yeah. It goes underground. The people suffer. Right. The people suffer. That's something that we have to hold close to our heart, those of us who walk the medicine path, and allow that grief to impact how we choose to live. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. I agree. I very much agree. This brings me, Alex, kind of to like the last two parts as we kind of wrap up and there's we've touched on a lot which is great because we've gotten a full <laughs> a full picture that's to say the least when you told me of your what i call your previous life you were a singer and then you had one experience i was an opera singer greg that's right <laughs> you were an opera singer and you went from opera singer to one experience to following what we would call a shamanistic path and when you would you mind touching on that just for a, a moment that how you went from i mean just that to that like that transition and the experience um yeah just just to just to touch on that because i think it's really interesting how we can be on one track and there's i mean you know god to be an opera singer how cool you know like that's it's such a cool thing to to be on and i remember you saying you know one ceremony and it was like, yeah, things are different now, and I'm going to be shifting down some different roads. I wish it, I wish it was that clear. It was so not clear, man. I, <laughs> as my teacher calls it, he calls these the pathless places. Yeah. Dark, scary, mm-hmm. mysterious. So I, I, was, I, knew, I discovered the path of bhakti, the path of devotion, when I was in my early 20s, when I was deep in my depression, I found Hatha Yoga, and mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, like, yes, please. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered Kirtan, and then I discovered uh, meditation, and it was like, okay, the West, the, the Eastern path, you know, India, um, this, is, this is the medicine for me. And so while I was an opera singer, I continued down that path for many years and um, really dove into the Self-Realization Fellowship with... Mm-hmm is the lineage of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogananda. Yeah. And um, I was doing my four hours of meditation every day and I fucked myself. I like locked down all of the arrows because Yogananda says you only are to, I won't do his accent right now. I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> uh, you're only to make love for procreation. And I wanted to be a good boy. So I wanted to follow Yogananda's teachings. Right. And I, I, hurt myself deeply there were years of like i wasn't masturbating i would like only see my sweetheart every once in a while and i was like living with such dryness and um, 
but I was like then trying to sing opera, which is like the most erotic expression of power I've ever experienced. It is mm -hmm. like a repetitive orgasm through the body singing high notes. It is the most incredible feeling I've ever known. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I'd go home and like have no idea how to ground that energy. Um, so I just sit in meditation. So that went on for years. And then I went through a, a Pachakuti. Pachakuti is a, a world flip or a world collapse. And my grandparents died within five weeks of each other. They were living in Jersey. I was in New York City. And then I broke up with my fiance of seven years. And then I called my friend who was living out in California. I was like, you know, you told me about something. I, uh, I, uh. I don't even know what what was that, and she was like, "Yes, let's go sit in ceremony together for the New Year's 2012." Mm -hmm. So I met my friend for a ceremony, and we drank grandmother medicine. I won't say the full name. I don't know why it doesn't feel right right now. Um, and we drank this sacred, sacred medicine, this ancient, ancient consciousness, an expression of Earth, cosmos. So much to be said about that, and I am so young on that path there are many people that have a lot more authority to speak about and grandmother shattered me she she loved me and she saw that i was 30 years old and i had not engaged my saturn return at all i had avoided it oh wow <clears throat> and she saw that i was um there was a potential that i would miss the boat and so she came in with a sledgehammer and um Man, that's a whole nother podcast talking about that one ceremony. Right. But she ripped me open and gifted me a an experience of being awake for a moment. You know, took me out of body. I've never gone out of body before. I haven't gone out of body since. I was completely out of body witnessing myself mm -hmm. and taken on this incredible ride and shown incredible things and then brought back into body and went through a living nightmare to to help me wake up and so after that ceremony i went back to new york and it was nothing was the same and it was excruciating and i was i was a shattered man i was a shattered man and eight months later i moved out to california to be with this woman that i had called at that time and, you know, that relationship was a huge blessing. It introduced me to this medicine, introduced me to uh, Vipassana meditation, introduced mm -hmm. me to the Bay, you know, totally changed my life. And I began the uh, pursuit of freedom in plant medicine ceremony. And <clears throat> then I discovered that, oh, it's not just in plant medicine ceremony. This is one of my path. This is one of my purposes also is to help my relatives who are in constant ceremony, plant medicine communion, peak experience grabbing to help them anchor their awakenings into a healthy spiritual architecture. Mm -hmm. So all of these spiritual technologies that I utilize that have been gifted to me are my spiritual architecture to house and direct and contain and align my awakening process. And without those technologies, we can go through these peak experiences and keep reaching for the peak experiences, believing that the peak experience is the state we're supposed to maintain. No, no. That's, yeah. that's not it. The peak experience is to inform and integrate into 
how we show up for daily living, chop wood, carry water, grow your corn and potatoes, as my relatives in in, uh, Hart Island down south say. Mm -hmm. And so that actually uh, is what saved me. The plant medicine woke me up. The technology saved me. The technology helped me ground and discover I'm a being of love. I'm worthy. I'm worthy of joy. I'm worthy of pleasure. I'm worthy of sharing medicine in this world that needs it. I'm trustworthy. I'm a good fucking man. Yeah. Right? These I was so confused about these things. This is the reason I asked this and thank you for sharing everything. The reason I asked this is because I think nowadays it, it it's this round larger topic and something that's circling within the context of, of this conversation plant medicines making their presence known in the west now and um the medicine in the vein i won't say the name but i'm pretty sure most know what we're talking about but that the medicine the grandmother medicine i remember the the first ceremony i did and the the shaman i was working with saying up until recently she never left the rainforest yes and that was that and and they said it's not they're like don't get it twisted People did not bring her out of the rainforest. She decided to infiltrate the West. She yeah. decided. And people think that they're they're administering, they're doing ceremonies, they're, you know, they're facilitating. She's like, they're not in control. And she said, and the the experiences that people are gonna have sometimes might not be as beneficial as they could be, or they might be very difficult, and it's gonna be very imperfect coming into the West because we don't have uh, what we would call living medicine traditions in the West that are that are anchored in in these realms, right? On how to navigate the psychedelic realm, how to really discourse with ancestry. We, these traditions we're having to pull from other places to to do what you, the kind of work you're doing. And I I really I think it's so powerful to realize that people are having experiences with plant medicine. Things are changing dramatically. They, they do they have the aha and we're also so damn young and fledgling like in this process that there's a lot of of bumps but it's i just find it interesting that when you think of it as as a medicine leaving the the the, the rainforest on its own accord yeah. Yeah. and coming in and saying yeah it's going to be bumpy and i'm going to come in and it's just going to be it's going to be imperfect right it's i mean it's never perfect right there, that's the wrong word, but it's not going to be what it has looked like in the traditional context. It's going to be a very haphazard process because I think we are in a haphazard state too. Things have been, they're so discombobulated that you bring in a plant medicine. It's like, yeah, it's going to, it's going to do its teaching, but it's going to be very different than what we've seen. It reminds reminds me of the Dalai Lama Mm. and and Buddhism. Mm -hmm. The, the, like the, 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 um, destruction of tibet as a sovereign nation yeah shot tibetan buddhism out into the world yeah it did and so what we're seeing now feels very similar to me mm-hmm. is with the encroachment of the and we're, we're seeing the amazon burn mm-hmm. now we are we are watching the the sovereignty of the amazonian peoples become smaller and smaller and smaller and the medicine erupts out into the world and comes here. Um, You know, similarly to what the Dalai Lama said, he's, you know, when he heard people talk about self hate, 
Mm-hmm. Have you heard the story? Yes. Where there was no translation. There was no translation for self-hate into Tibetan. <laughs> he didn't know what we were talking about. Right. And he discovered the illness of the Western mind and what self-hate was and all of this depression. Similarly, I'm watching and hearing from my teachers that in the jungle, in, in places where this medicine is served um, traditionally, it is a it's it is a it's a medicine for the body. Yeah. It's not a medicine for people to remember they're worthy. It's, <laughs> right. not med- it's not a medicine to help you discover your life purpose. I mean that's not totally. I mean in some cases it is because yeah. it claims you as somebody to serve it. Sure. But well, as we drink it up here in the west, I remember for years drinking it and just being caught in self-loathing for hours. <laughs> yeah. You no, know? and like that and how yeah. Grandmother has said yes to being part of that healing too. Mm-hmm. That's remarkably generous. Agreed, and I think it's it's a very interesting time. I mean, like you said, you know, you said you're very young in that that path with that medicine. As am as am I. We're neither one of us are like authorities. Obviously, we've had an experience, and I think it's it had merit. It shifted things tremendously, and I'm still sitting now a year and a half, two years now. I think where I'm still full from that experience. And I think I will be for a while. It's going to be a long time before I go back and revisit that because there was so much in there that I'm still practicing too. I thought the the things that I was shown to, to work on essentially, I'm like, yeah, they're still in progress fully. So I'll just wait a while until that, (laughs) until those waters settle. But, um, thank you for, you know, addressing that and just kind of touching on that for a quick second. So the part two to the, to this closeout is the last bit about, um, your men's work. And just, you know, I know you're starting, um, I believe you said, you, is that right? Do I remember when we talked last week that you're starting a new wave of something uh, soon? Uh, not, not men's work, actually. I'm launching an online course. Okay. On, the timing of this podcast and this interview is, is totally magical. Yeah. Again, yeah, you know, like all of, this, <laughs> all of the conspiring support, I'm launching an eight-week course on spiritual technology training. Uh-huh. Uh, that I'm super stoked about, and um, I'm going. What I, the the vision is to train people to do altar tending, so that they are they are confident in their capacity to commune with an altar for the purpose of supporting them in living their purpose for their for the support as I was talking about of housing spiritual awakening, so that people can be confident and clear in their role and community in the world. I want to train people in ancestral communion so that they viscerally know, they know in their bodies that their ancestors are with them every day, every step of their lives, guiding them and supporting them in pursuing their goals. I'm also really excited in supporting people in nature connection, in community activation, mm-hmm. and research and, and, and acclaiming of their ancestral lineage, their blood ancestry. So uh, this eight-week course, I'm launching October 23rd, and um, people can find out about that through Facebook. You know, my Facebook name is where I really post everything, so Alexander Kugler, K-U-G-L-E-R, and I'm just going to have it be a Facebook event, Um, and people can sign up there for a conversation if they want to have it with me. I'll probably be doing like a a live Q&A at some point in the next month. Um, but thanks for bringing that up, Gray. I'm super excited about bringing yeah. this technology in yeah. a in an appropriate way mm-hmm. that really honors lineage and also that gets people excited to deepen in lineage. Yeah, 
Um, I my life is blessed by the richness that giving myself to lineage, right? And you you know this in marriage mm-hmm. and a father. When we give ourselves to a large commitment, there are things we're saying no to. Oh yeah, huge number of things we're saying no to, and the yes, the deep well, yeah, is indescribable. It's and it's far. I mean, the no's pale by comparison. It, it, I think the no's are bigger before the commitment. Mm. Before I made the commitment, the no's were huge. These looming things. Of, it was like this towering wave of all the yeah. no's. Like, oh, no, freedom. Only one woman. There were so many. And it was just the male, like typical male, stereotypical mind of just so many fears about raising a kid. I'm not going to be able to hang with my friends. And I'm just – it's just the oh, shit factor. Yep. And then the commitments made and it was like a tide that just went and just switched. And, and I was overwhelmed with the yeses and thought, God, boy, that's a – that's a little bit of a mind fuck. If I had stayed in that place of just yeah. being so terrified of the no's, yeah. quote unquote, I wouldn't have seen the, the yes realm. And that's, you're absolutely right. The yeses get very big and that's kind of all I focus on the no's. I'm like, yeah, there's some things I gave up, but for sure, they're not nearly as cool as what's happening over on this other side. <laughs> there's sure. and way we better have stuff. Virtual projection and fear of like a lot, both, both. We have a lot of spiritual fear and projection on, oh, if I say yes, to this lineage, like, what does that mean? Like, da, 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 da. And there's also like, people are starving for spiritual lineage and yeah. it's not easy to find one that is in full integrity. Yeah, it's tricky. There is a lot of schmutz being thrown around <laughs> and and my lineages aren't perfect. Yeah. You know, there is there has been some shifting uh, around some of the elders in my communities and some... Uh, harmful magic being cast at each other and i use that word there are spells being cast in in some of these realms that i have to stay back from you know i have to really keep checking my ego and keep checking like how what is the contact with those people that i want and that's safe for me like it's not it's not all honky dory i don't even know where phrase comes from but whatever you know what i'm saying (laughs) i do Um, it's not all rainbows and cosmic right. transition it's like human shit yes lineage yes so i also want people to be sober as i'm like saying like let's right. study lineage together right yes. like I, my my teacher is initiating people i'm getting to support initiatory ceremonies i am on my way to yeah. become a sanctioned pachakuti mesa teacher this is my prayer this is my intention so that i can be initiating people into these lineages in a from a place of sanctioned authority. Mm-hmm. And until then, until I am at that capacity, yeah, I want to be right where I am, which is sharing the enthusiasm, sharing the basic technologies to help people stabilize right where they are yeah. in their awakening process, to know that the spirits are with them, to feel that their ancestors are guiding them, right. and to be able to trust with each step Living a life of prayer can sometimes feel – living life on prayer can feel sometimes like a repetitive stepping off of a ledge yeah, into the unknown. That is some scary shit. That is, is. some shit. And you know what? It is the best damn training for the world to come that mm-hmm. there is. Right. It's, I mean if that's, if that's not a metaphor for where we are right now, 
it's sort of like what is what well, you know if that's not it like what is um well just to, to kind of circle back and to encapsulate you know just those those two closing points you know your medicine ceremony that got you on this path and then and then this so it sounds like a lot of the things that uh, if I, if I'm hearing this correctly that we have the themes that we've touched on in this podcast yeah. If people have been listening to this and their interest is peaked and thought, oh, this, this is something that I would like to plug into your course yeah. would be a wonderful introduction into these larger foundational themes, correct? Oh, for sure. And yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm so excited about it. <laughs> good, good. Well, and, and I, the people listening, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, Alex and I don't have a paid, you know, this isn't like a paid sponsored ad. I mean, I, I have tremendous faith in your work. And I can vouch for you. You know, I vouch for Alex, Alexandra Kugler, for sure. If you guys are interested in doing work with Alex, I mean, you're, I think you're one of the best people that holds this kind of stuff with integrity. And you've got the, you've got a really nice balance, man, of like, the way I see it is you've got this balance of very real honored um, representation and keeping the integrity of a tradition without the sensationalized, what I want to say, the new age buzz that can come with it. There's actually a grounding, Mm. there's a very grounded aspect to what you're doing. And for me, my life path, this go around, that's one of the threads that I need. And it's sort of my, that's the ticket that gets admittance to me in a sense is is that Mm. groundedness, you know, do things have a root uh, in reality? Is it not, I don't want it just in the clouds because that's not how we live. The mountain. Yeah. The the pyramid, man. It's just that this thing, like that's, you need, you need a strong base. And that's what I think you've had. And from the first time I met you, you know, it's there. Mm -hmm. So I wish you the best of luck on this course. I know it's going to be great and people should check it out. I mean, I definitely would encourage people to do so. And if people, Alex, want to find you, um, on social media or, you know, what's the best way? Do you have a website, Instagram, Facebook? What do you do? What's, what's your jam? Dude, that's a whole realm of, of technology that I am not mastered in yet. (laughs) (laughs) You got to bolster that external technology. (laughs) I know I'm working on it, but you know what? My priority is the internal technologies right now. And I just was on a journey with mushroom medicine and the mushrooms gave me a really clear download. And they said to me, don't go big right now. Mm -hmm. Don't go big. Just get by. Yeah. Just, the download, the big download that you're here to catch in, yeah. over the next couple of years is on its way. Mm-hmm. Your job is to create a beautiful nest to catch the big medicine that's coming for you. It's not fully here yet. Sure. And when I went on that journey, I felt such relief, man. I was like, like oh, like, I don't have to pretend like I'm a master. <laughs> right. I'm not. Yeah. I have something to offer. Right. And offer it right from where I am. Doesn't, you know, like, uh, my social media identity, it's not fully fleshed out because the medicine has not completely distilled itself within me yet. Sure. So social media identity, Alexander Kugler, K-U-G-L-E-R. That's on Facebook. That's all I use. Great. And my website for the men's work is manhoodembodied.com. Manhoodembodied.com. Eliyahu and I are going to be launching another group in January. We do three to six months cohorts, three to six month cohorts. We have our conclusion of this cohort next week. And um, also Beaudry. Have you interviewed Beaudry yet? No, he's, I've been, I've been picking, I've been picking at him for the past like three weeks. I'm like, bro, when are you going to get on? But he's, he he wants to get on, but he's coming. Yeah. And I are dream. We're dreaming in an offering in 2020. So Mm. we're going to be doing like embodied prayer, magic we don't even know what's coming through but it's coming through in 2020 um nice. so keep your eye out for that and yes yeah great i just want to like 
uh, I know we're concluding. Yeah. So I want to uh, I want to really honor you and honor uh, the generosity of your heart in this friendship and the the beauty of how I see you continually stretching on your path and integrating what's next. And um, I just want to say like what nourishment your reflections always are when you gift me the depth of your sight and I feel so seen by you and as you were doing the mountain imagery and like you talked to me about the energy of my hands when we hugged that first time and <laughs> yeah. the energy of my body it's like there's something so special in your in the medicine that comes through you of profound acknowledgement and deep seeing of other and I want to say thank you for gifting me that as your brother and sharing that uh, with all of your guests on this podcast. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You're very welcome. And um, I just appreciate your words. So thank you. They, they land. They land well. And I received them well. So thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. And keep spreading your medicine, man. Keep doing what you're doing and keep this, keep your, keep your, you know, keep, just keep trucking and listen to the mushrooms. <laughs> Don't go yep. big now. You as know, my teacher, Mark says. Yeah. What right do you have not to share this medicine? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way. Well, it's beautiful. And thank you for your time. Um, you know, it was a nice, nice, full, long podcast. And we got we got a lot in. It was like, an, I think about wow. an hour and 40 minutes. And it went pretty quickly, too. That was amazing. We had a lot to talk about. But um, I appreciate your time. Keep doing the good work. I'm very yeah. supportive. I want to know what's happening. And you guys should definitely check out Alex's website. Keep on keep track with him because he's going to be doing some amazing things. We'll put, we'll put the link in the text of the podcast. I imagine. Yeah, we'll, we'll, all your info will be in the podcast on YouTube and on uh, Facebook when I launch it. So, yeah, you'll be launching in a couple of weeks. But um, thank you again, man. I just appreciate your time. So you take care of yourself. I love you, brother. <laughs> I love you Send too, man. Me, feel my love, okay? I will for sure, man. All right, bro. All right, take care. Much love.